persistence, practice, perseverance. If you want to write, you need them all. But to win the writing game, you can never, never, never stop learning. Now, for a limited time only, multiple award-winning author and international bestseller Christine Catherine Rush brings you The Right Stuff at StoryBundle.com. This 11-book craft and business toolkit shows you how to move from idea to novel with or without an outline, beat writer's block and win NaNoWriMo, and make the most of your fantasy world whether it has horses or dragons. You'll also get step-by-step guides on how to set up your writing business, produce your own audiobooks, cope with reversals in traditional publishing, and keep your head in the game with your traditional, hybrid, or indie. Get your copy of The Right Stuff now at storybundle.com. Artistic Whispers Productions presents... I got a topic. Butts. (laughs) That's always a topic. Hello and welcome to the next 10,000 hours, your peek under the skirt at a rapidly evolving multimedia studio and publishing company run by two people who should really know better. I'm Dan Sawyer. I'm Kitty Nakian, and it's not a skirt, it's a kilt. You keep changing the way we dress the company. How are we ever going to get our publicity materials out? Next we're going to be arguing about what kind of underwear it's wearing. It's a kilt. Anyway, while we... Anyway, while we do that, why don't you head under the kilt and out to the beach where you can find two people who sound suspiciously like us talking about the things that, frankly... Go boom. But you're having, uh, you're going through that thing now where you're figuring out how to transition from day job to not day job. Uh, yeah, day job to not day job has is, is been mostly... Uh, hello, how do I schedule myself? I don't have to get up at 6 a.m. Do I ever have to get up? No. Hi, 5 p.m. <laughs> Today on the next 10,000 hours, how to not have a day job without going broke. Just <laughs> not as easy as it sounds like, which is saying something. Well, actually, I think most people know that it's not easy. That's why a lot of writers still have day jobs. Right. Lots of writers still have day jobs, and lots of writers wouldn't even consider going without their day jobs because they love living in San Francisco far too much. (laughs) And there are people with day jobs that need another day job in order to keep living in San Francisco. You know there are rents there that cost more than the average monthly income? And they're not like high rents either. It's like a one-bedroom apartment costs more than the average monthly income, or the median monthly income, I should say. So basically you need two people with median incomes sharing a one-bedroom apartment to live well. Right. But it was the thing that when when I went full freelance a while ago, and now that you're full freelance, you're learning the hard way, is it's actually a little less difficult finding the work to pay the bills than it is figuring out how to schedule yourself. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Um, although I think, I, I think I'm finding those equally hard. You know? I do not like selling myself. I am so glad I'm not a salesperson. That would be the place you'd fall down as a hooker, too. That's true. It's like graphic design, you know, graphic design, sexual I, services, same thing. I'm, I'm the sort that if I ever decided to do that for a living, I would actually need a pimp. But I hear they take less than agents, so... <laughs> yeah, pimp will take 10%, agent takes 15 But they're more likely to beat the shit out of you than steal from you, so I'm not sure which is the winner. Depends on the business model. There, there's the old style street pimp. And... 
taken a strange turn. <laughs> well, hey, we've been uh, we've been remodeling the offices all day, and now we're sitting out on the beach, and we're a bit punchy, but that's part of the fun, right? For those of you who are new to the next 10,000 hours, be warned. If you are capable of taking offense at anything, you might want to go somewhere else. Because we tend to record these when we have no filters. <laughs> Except for the sunglasses I'm wearing. Uh, I, yeah, because no filters is about the only time I'll have conversation with anybody anyways. <laughs> so if you ever make it to Balticon, you're going to have fun. Oh, God. Everyone around you is going to have fun. Uh, if I ever make it to Balticon, I'll be hiding in my room. <laughs> now I have, we'll get you out for the epic Cards Against Humanity game that Nobilis plays. That'll be your icebreaker. I'm, I'm wondering if when I'm when I finally do play that game, if people are going to be surprised by how normal I am or shocked that I'm weirder than I look. It's a good question. It depends on how much they listen to the podcast. <laughs> Those that know you by voice will know how weird you are, and they'll be shocked at how normal you look. <laughs> and those that don't will come across you. You hear this, you know, this short, absolutely adorable, curly-haired Japanese person, and they will look at you, and they'll spend half a head tilt trying to figure out what your ethnicity is. And <laughs> I was going to say, there's nothing normal about a curly-haired Japanese person. And another half-tilt of the head trying to figure out why someone who looks so respectable is saying such obscene things. <laughs> I am talking to your power port. <laughs> now there's a euphemism for you. <laughs> I think I'm the one with the power port. <laughs> Is it a power port or a docking station? <laughs> uh, we're laughing so hard that that little kid is staring at us. I'm like, why are the grown-ups laughing? <laughs> one thing I've become aware of is that space and scheduling actually affect each other. Um, it, it's not something that I really thought about. Because, you know, when, when you work a day job, you don't really have a whole lot of flexibility over your space. You're given a cube, or maybe you're given an office if you're lucky and important enough. There's not a whole lot you can do except adjust the height of the things. But when you're working from home, for one thing, not all your work is, is done at your desk. In my case, I work at a drafting table and at a desk and sometimes at a laptop and... There's more to organizing your workspace when you're a freelancer than just adjusting the height. You move things. You change out the furniture sometimes. You move everything upstairs to another room or into a closet in the basement. Whatever works for you. Whatever helps you get the work done keeps the distractions at bay. On, on the one hand, you have more flexibility and control over your workspace. But on the other hand, it, it took me months to realize, wait, I have flexibility and control over my workspace. I don't have to get permission from my manager <laughs> to change something. <laughs> and I can make all the changes I want. Well, within affordability, I, there was a $2,000 standing desk that we're not getting. But, you know, <laughs> within reason. So, ironically, we're going back to a, a setup like we had 
two or three houses ago. The last house we had, we had a part of the living room sort of walled off for the work area. And we had another room where the sound recording booth was. But practically speaking, we did most of our work on laptops in the living room because it was the most comfortable thing. Mm -hmm. And it worked okay, but it didn't work great. Whereas at the previous place, we had one room, we had the entire mixing station and audio setup set up in another room. We had the recording and the writing set up. And in a third room, we had the drawing set up. And that worked a lot better for us because you're in a given room, you know sort of subconsciously what your task is in there. Yeah. And it makes it a lot easier rather than trying to mark time. I'm at the same desk doing task X versus task Y. And then if I need supplies for this, I'm going into the supply room, shifting everything around so that all the supplies and all the audio equipment is in one room plus the recording studio. And all the art equipment and art supplies is in another room. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the writing stuff is on the laptops and... Can move anywhere we want. And it can move anywhere we want. So sometimes we'll come out and work on the beach, and sometimes we'll work in our reading area and that sort of thing. Yeah. But it makes it a lot easier to maintain (laughs) self-discipline. And and schedule, too, because when you do that, different parts of the house are comfortable at different times of day. Sure. Uh, Particularly when you're in an old house with no insulation at all. One of those strange little deals that, that you don't expect when you leave your day job is you reorganize your whole life, not just your schedule, but your physical space, in order to get out of your own way. Yeah, in order to get out of your own way. When you're at a day job, it's someone else's job to get you out of your own way. And when you come home, both physically and mentally, well, and it's it's not it's not just that. Um, it's not just that when you are working outside the home your home is organized for relaxation sleeping and eating and hobbies when freelancing is your primary source of income your home is your office and you sleep and eat there you need you need the relaxation space partly to get away from work and partly because the irs demands it (laughs) um but, yeah, you you set things up with a whole different rationale. For years, we were doing one of us at home uh, freelancing and one of us at a day job. And that required a much more complicated setup. Yeah. Um, and we're moving to something a little more, a lot more streamlined and simplified. And it's a lot of fun. Makes a difference. Yeah. And makes a lot more sense. So, anyway, that's today's topic on the next 10,000 hours. Also, the beach is awesome. Yeah, the beach is awesome. (laughs) Tune in next time when we discuss how the length of your hair may affect your ability to write. And also why the beach is awesome. I have no idea what we'll talk about next time, but it'll be fun, whatever it is. And now, it's time for our story. Story time! This week at the story time, I'm giving you an entirely new story. All incomplete, because you guys are awesome, and it's been a while since we've done an X10K. So, here you go. Last Words by J. Daniel Sawyer I want to read again. I remember the first time I did. I was twenty-six years old, and the wall told me to stop. Just a simple sign hanging there, with eight sides and a white picture in the center of a dazzling of glittery blood. 
and as soon as it spoke, I began to hear its brothers and sisters and mothers and sons, its fathers and cousins and uncles crying out to me from every surface. The thoughts, time-delayed, of people that once inhabited the world, speaking to me. People that anticipated me, that cared about who I was, people that wanted my attention and approval, who were giving me access to their most intimate concerns. They wanted me to yield, or to watch out for pedestrians in the crosswalk, or to be sure to read the instructions all the way through before using the new blender, to be careful when smoking because it may cause cancer if I'm not careful. As if, I thought, an entire universe has been constructed for me. I fell headlong into limerence with the joy of words, on cereal packets, on advertisements, on the little instruction labels sewn to the insides of the tongues of my sneakers. I lived in a world of words, a world I'd not seen before and never knew existed. These were not the callous and callow words that teachers had barked at me or that my parents had used to wah-wah-wah. This was a world with song and sound and meaning and love. So much love. The kind of love you could lick like a Tootsie Pop that would warm your insides like a jello shot and smelled like the spearmint crushed beneath the hoof of a stag in full rut and sharpening his antlers on my back fence. The one the cautionary sign warned might carry a slight electrical charge during thunderstorms and shouldn't be approached without rubber-soled shoes and proper gloves. But the stag didn't care, and the spearman didn't care. The words cared. They followed me around, telling me the vital things, the secret things, messages enciphered for only me, messages that unlocked the secrets hidden in plain sight, how to cook, how to think, how to screw, how to hammer, how to pick up a woman in a bar, and how to dress like a drag queen without getting found out, so long as your jawline was weak enough and you learned to balance in the high heels. And every time I thought the words would run out, they washed over me in new waves, reaching up from the deepest parts of the ocean and crashing down on me, a shower of electrons and leaves, the etchings of ink and binary into the shapes of the thoughts of men and women stretching back to the beginning of time in every language, in every key, a highway of mental transfusion, a blood pulse from their brains into mine. They rented the spare room at the back of my soul where I used to keep my grudges. They bivouacked in the backyard next to the trash heap where I threw all my old ideas, and they raided the pile and used what they found to stitch together tents of nostalgia and danger, a carnival of old things stretched all out of shape by the terrible demands of the words that would not be silenced. I knew I was in trouble when I had to let Mark Twain sleep in my living room. My bedroom had no use for me, what with the hellfire and the Algonquins holding orgies in there, riding high and low on Whitman and Poe, the throbbing crush of Tamerlane and his telltale hearts and drumbeat desire. The words stopped coming one at a time. They only came in droves, hundreds of thousands at a time. They took over the whole house, then the block, then the city. They flooded the whole country of my soul two feet deep so I could never sleep for fear I would drown. The carcasses of dead stories floated on the water. I could hear the baying of abandoned philosophies struggling to breathe as they drowned in the shallow, unending flood of words. The smell reached up out of my soul and into the world, and I vomited the words I could no longer hold, and the world outside sparkled in delight and begged me for more. 
I burped and danced and sang and screamed, and they bellowed their dissatisfaction. They needed more. The words made them hungry. It made them grow teeth, that terrible thirst that I knew when the words used to stalk me. So I opened my wrists, and they drank. They drank, drank, drank me down. Every word, every letter, every stray phoneme, the flood ebbing away, leaving only wreckage in its wake. Unfertile fields, a mess of ruined metaphors and exsanguinated similes, the turbid ova of Ovid's oratory laying intertwined with Mohammed on the broken death of his grandson's yacht and strewn with rubies. And then... When I'd lost the last word, all that was left where my soul once lived was a shriveled, ruined bag of used-to-bees, half-lost memories of possibilities and images that could not form. I ran to the words. I begged them to find me. I looked in my shoes and on my mattress tag and in my glove box and under the sofa. I stared blankly at the grocery store shelves and the library walls and the instructions they gave me at jury duty. I saw the paper and their symbols, their screens and squiggles, the bloods of pens and brushes and drums spray-painted across the entire city. They were to me as joy to a crocodile. Caution to a crotch rocket, gliding to a missile. They were the first breath of newborn plastic, the pliable magnetism of oak, the fairest nature of latex. They were shoes made for feet with six toes each. I bought a broom and cleaned up the house in my soul. I spruced up that back bedroom and cleaned up the dead tents in the backyard and picked up the whole floodplain, and I set a pipe out for Mr. Twain in the hopes he'd come back. I shambled through the empty parks in the hopes that the torrents would find me again, crush me beneath their weight, that they would force themselves into my empty house and make me hear Camus and Maupassant, that they would make me watch while Dr. Moreau invented hobbits, and I would claw out my own eyes in wonder that I would finally see the sky as it was the day after Cthulhu rose from the deep. But my walls stayed blank, a house filled with a loud, white, a terrible canvas without painter or brush or printer or stencil to stay its frenetic noise. None of the words returned. I babbled my last and danced my hardest and screamed a silent, wordless scream, but nothing came. Not a single noun, a verb, an adverb or adjective, not a profanity or vocalization, not so much as a letter leapt at me from the signs and menus and books and screens and advertisements and packagings and labels and manuals and car sides and windows and citations. All of them, every last one, did not deign me worthy of notice, and they faded out 
contrast-free, until they were nothing more than generic texture maps in a world of primitives. Without detail or resolution, the subsurfaces scattered to nothingness, featureless and undifferentiated as the mind of a prophet, banal as a face full of courtesy. The wounds in my wrists haven't closed. They bleed every time I see what might be a word. And the world looks so, so white and yellowing at the edges. I want to read again. I'd give anything if only you'd help me. I have a house here, hardly used, freshly restored. I'll give it to you if you bring them back. The words, I need them. Look at my wrists. See how dry they are. Please believe me. I'll give you anything. Anything. Hello and welcome to Kitty's Corner. In the process of reorganizing our entire house to give the office a beach view, I've misplaced the notebook with Kitty's Corner's topics, and am thus unable to give you Fashion According to Kitty or Kitty's Guide to Transportation as planned. However, since I can't stop teasing you about how awesome the beach is, I give you City versus Beach. The beach smells awesome. So awesome that you want to stick your nose outside even when the rest of you can't move. Salt spray, seaweed, slowly dying jellyfish, and occasionally smoky bonfires and sausage. Cities, on the other hand, smell of exhaust, pee, and too much perfume. And that's just on the train. Tide pools. Tide pools have cool stuff in it, like purple sea anemones, tiny crabs, fish, and glass floats that aren't nearly as antique as you wish they were. City puddles, on the other hand, are filled with mud, not water. The only color comes from an oil slick on the surface. If there's anything alive in there, it will probably grow into a mutant crime-fighting amphibian. If you're lucky. At the beach, there are delicious edible things living under the sand. Dig, and you may find dinner. If you dig into the ground in the city, you will likely find the water main, cause a power outage, and not be able to afford dinner at the new Vietnamese pizzeria after your finds. Speaking of food, you can always count on seafood collected at a beach to be fresh. Cities? Your mileage may vary, usually in inverse proportion to the number of miles from a coastline in spite of the advent of flash freezing and air shipments. Beach birds are varied and weird. You may only identify a seagull, but you know that the muirs, terns, and oyster catchers, aka black swimming birds, skinny gulls, and the long-beaked thing that's poking holes in the sand, you didn't identify are only found at the beach, and possibly only this beach. City birds? Pigeons. Rats of the sky. They are everywhere, and they are coming for you. <laughs> the sounds of the beach are so soothing, your phone's sleep monitoring app includes it as a lullaby. A quiet neighborhood in the city is one in which the constant din of traffic is rarely ever interrupted by eight car alarms going off at once, shouting neighbors, or emergency sirens. A beach quietly and radically transforms each day with the tides, 
becoming a new and different place every time you see it. Cities also change, though slowly and always accompanied by the sound of protests and construction vehicles. And yet, somehow, all this activity still leaves you surrounded by large blocks of gray concrete. In short, you must conclude, as I have, that the beach, which feeds you delicious things and nurtures you with beautiful views and a lullaby, is vastly superior to the city, which imprisons you in towering blocks of self-replicating, and possibly sentient, concrete. This has been Kitty's Corner. If you haven't been cornered by a kitty, you probably live all alone in an apartment in a city. I'm so sorry. So, so sorry. The Next 10,000 Hours is a production of Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California, and features Por Una Cabeza, a work in the public domain arranged and performed by Danny Shade. This podcast is produced under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, and all other rights are reserved to the performers. Remember, folks, you only have until 8 p.m. Pacific time on June 4th to get the Write Stuff Craft and Business Bundle for writers at storybundle.com slash writing.